Hi, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> this is Abby Lee, your host of Bay Area Regional Medical Center. Sorry, I was caught off guard by that. Um, we are coming at you for Bay Area Regional Medical Hour. We're uh, with Bay Area Regional Medical Center, the new hospital on Highway 3. It's a blue, big blue glass building. You can't miss it if you're driving down Highway 3 in about Bay Area. Uh, section. So today we're talking about a bunch of different things today. We've got Michelle Henderson. She's our chief nursing officer at Bay Area Regional Medical Center. We're talking about, we have some super exciting news about stroke that I can't wait to share with you guys. It's going to be awesome. And then we're going to shift gears and talk to David Johnson. David actually had surgery at our hospital in January, and he is super excited about having another surgery, which most people aren't that excited about having <laughs> surgery, but he is ready to have his next surgery. <laughs> but I've kind of been there with my feet, so I, I get it. I get it. We'll, we'll talk about your story. Um, what brought you to the hospital and what what happened with your with your shoulder along the way and we'll just we'll talk about your story i'm so excited about sharing your story today um so for uh the hospital so we have a lot of things going on we've been open for almost four years now we are in pursuit of trauma level three trauma we have a center of excellence in bariatric surgery and hidden scar surgery we have the highest level chest pain center accreditation and now roll da -da 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 -da, like so excited what do we have michelle we are officially a primary stroke center accredited by the joint commission yay okay yeah. so for people who aren't in healthcare, what really does that mean so the joint commission comes out and they uh, um, evaluate hospitals based on the level of care that they're able to provide and when they come out they're looking at things for quality they want to see that you have the quality outcomes that you're providing your patients the highest level of care they look at something called clinical practice guidelines so they want to make sure that the hospital has policies and procedures in place that are in accordance with the most recent evidence to make sure that we're providing patients the best care possible. They look at competencies. They want to make sure that our nursing staff have the skills, knowledge, and ability to make sure that we're taking care of the best care of our patients. And they look at the competencies of our medical staff. They want to make sure that our radiologists and our neurologists and our hospitalists also have the same experience and, and knowledge. They look at things like our equipment. They look at our documentation. They look at um, different performance improvement documentation that we have. They mm -hmm. want to make sure that we're continuously looking at what's going well in our program and what are the things that we can do differently. Awesome. Okay, so that was just a lot to unpack there. So primary <laughs> stroke center accreditation at the hospital. Uh, thank you so much for those likes and loves. Hello, Patricia, Daniel, and hello, Santiago. Thank you for all of that. <laughs> and if you guys have questions for stroke or anything else along the way, feel free to comment those below. We love to talk to people on Facebook Live. So, okay, let's just b back up just a little bit. All right, let's talk about stroke and what does it mean when you have a stroke? How does it affect? I mean, uh, most people know that it affects the brain, but uh -huh. let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. So when you're talking about a stroke, what you're looking at is um, the brain has to get oxygenated blood flow, and that's how the brain gets the nutrients to do the things that it does. And what happens is if you have an interruption in that blood flow, it can cause the patient to have certain signs and symptoms. There's a couple of different types of stroke. Um, there's what they call a TIA, which is a transient ischemic attack. Um, some people call that a mini stroke. And what that means is that you have the signs and symptoms, but typically they last for less than 24 hours. So you'll, you'll see the signs of a stroke, 
but then they eventually go away. Mm -hmm. The thing that's important with a TIA is that most patients that have a TIA will have a stroke within the next three months. So it's a predictor that oh, patients wow. are at risk for having a stroke. So you really want to make sure that those patients are treated early and um, make sure that you're ruling out the fact that they're not having another type of stroke. So if they have a mini stroke, can they, can you prevent having a normal stroke you're probably going to tell me what that one is yeah. called so so if you have if you have a mini stroke you want to make sure that you get medical attention right away because initially when you start having those signs and symptoms you don't know if those symptoms are going to last so you want to treat a mini stroke like you would a, a, a normal stroke okay um, <laughs> like that so so you, the patients when they have those signs and symptoms they should call 911 and be treated immediately when they identify the causes of that mini stroke, sometimes it can be caused by blockage in the arteries in your neck or blockage in some other arteries. It can be caused by an irregular heart rhythm called atrial fibrillation. So if you can control some of those risk factors, high blood pressure, that can help to prevent strokes. 80% of strokes are actually preventable. So identifying what those risk causes, risk factors are for those patients can help to reduce the risk of the patient actually suffering from a stroke. So the other normal mm. types of strokes. I was about to say, that, what are they? I know <laughs> that, that there's like have. three different types, yeah. right? Right. Okay. So the first type is the TIA. It's okay. the transient ischemic attack. Ischemia just stands for lack of oxygenated blood flow. And the transient means it comes and goes. Okay. okay? So that's what the TIA is. The second type of stroke um, is the most common type of stroke. That's called an ischemic stroke. So what happens with an ischemic stroke is that you have um, a blockage in the artery that that delivers the blood to that particular part of the brain. Mm -hmm. And so that blockage can happen when you have a clot that trans that gets stuck in those tiny little parts of the brain and the tiny little arteries in the brain. And what happens is whatever part of the brain is beyond where that blockage is, that part of the brain doesn't get oxygenated blood flow. So what happens is the symptoms that the patient has will vary depending on where the blockage in the brain is. Different parts of the brain control different functions in the body. Mm -hmm. So patients most commonly will have signs and symptoms that could be problems with speech. They could have confusion. They can have memory loss. They can have weakness on one side or the other. So the symptoms that the patient displays are really going to be dependent on which part of the brain is affected. Okay, and we'll go over the signs and symptoms in just a minute. Okay. So you said that there was a third type so of stroke? the third type of stroke is what's called a hemorrhagic stroke. Hemorrhagic strokes are about 15% of the strokes that patients have, but hemorrhagic strokes are also the most fatal. 40% of the patients that suffer from a hemorrhagic stroke die. So what happens with a hemorrhagic stroke is instead of having that blockage in the brain, you actually have bleeding that occurs within the brain. So that bleeding can happen um, if you have a ruptured blood vessel. Sometimes mm -hmm. you hear the, the words aneurysm. My patients had an aneurysm. And that can be when the walls of the artery get um, damaged or weakened from high blood pressure and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it was explained to me once it's like having a tire blowout. That's what happens to the arteries inside the brain is that that aneurysm can burst, mm -hmm. causing leaking and bleeding inside the brain. Uh, you can also have something that's called an AVM, which is an arteriovenous malformation, and that's a genetic thing. And basically what it is is it's the, the blood vessels get kind of tangled up, and you can have bleeding from those. Um, the other thing that you can have bleeding from is um, what they call a subarachnoid hemorrhage. So you can have bleeding in between the brain and the, the tissue that surrounds right. the brain. 
Okay, lots of big words today. Yes. So no tests at the end of this radio show okay. today, just so you know. <laughs> okay, so what are the signs and symptoms of uh, someone having a stroke? Signs and symptoms of a stroke. One of the things that um, <clears throat> we encourage people to use is an acronym. It's called Be Fast. And so if you if you can remember those things, it kind of helps you pick up on what some of the signs and symptoms would be. So B stands for balance, right? If you have patients that have weakness on one side or the other, they have problems with their balance, that would be one thing that you'd want to look for. The eyes, um, if the patients have dizziness or blurred vision, or um, you can see that the pupils are the dark circles in the center of your eyes. One can be really big. The other one is really small. You want to make sure that they match. Mm -hmm. um, you want to check for... F stands for face. And with the face, you want your face to be symmetrical. So basically, that means if you draw an imaginary line down the middle of your face, you want the right and the left side to match. Sometimes what you'll see is patients may have a facial droop where their lip starts to drag a little bit. Or when you look at their eyelids, you might notice some drooping in the mm -hmm. eyelids. Um, and so, you ask people to smile, right? Correct. So okay. if, you're, if you're having somebody smile, that helps to make sure that the face is symmetrical, that you don't have a droop on one side. Mm -hmm. um, you can also ask them to raise their eyebrows, and that helps to make sure that the muscles on both sides are functioning equally. Okay. Okay. Um, so the next thing that you want to check for is arms. You want to check to make sure that the arms are strong and equal, and you want to make sure that you don't have a drift. So if you have your patients put their arms up, you don't want to see that one arm isn't able to be held up in the air, that they, they don't drop it down. Okay. The next thing is speech. Um, S stands for speech, and you want to make sure that the patient can speak clearly. Sometimes what happens with a stroke is um, patients may have difficulty getting their words out. They may have mm. difficulty comprehending what's being told to them, or may they ha may have something that's called um, word salad, where they know <laughs> in their mind what, what they're, they're trying, trying to say, say yeah. but the words start to come out, and they, they don't really make sense at all, and, and it's not... What they're thinking in their head doesn't match what comes out. And you're like, mouth. are you drunk right Kinda now? Kind of like me talking on the radio. Sometimes <laughs> the words I'm thinking aren't matching what's coming out. You are hilarious. Yeah. So it was isn't the question you ask those people like what day and time it is? Or is there a specific question that you normally ask people? So to there's try some to... different things. Um, the National Institute of Health has actually a, a stroke protocol that they have different facilities use when you're trying to do an assessment on patients. And it will test for a lot of these different things. And one of the things that we have, we have a little flat card that will show patients and it's got some pictures and we ask the patients to describe the pictures we ask them to tell us what what common objects are there's a glove and there's a chair and a hammock and the patients we want them to be able to tell us what those items are we want them to just tell us a story about a picture that they see we'll ask them to read simple words and simple phrases mm -hmm. and that helps us to make sure that their speech is appropriate and clear okay so T. T. T stands for time. And time is really important um, because when we start looking at the treatment for stroke, it's important to know when the patient um, started to de develop their symptoms. So we call that their last known well. Okay, so there are certain treatments that we can use for an ischemic stroke. If the patient has that blood clot that's blocking the artery, there's a specific medication that we can give, but we have to give that medication within a three-hour time frame. So it's very important that we understand when the patient started to develop the symptoms. Mm -hmm. Time is also important because it helps us to know what's going on with the patient. So time is an important factor. When you when you talk about stroke, the reason that it's so important that we have patients call 911 right away is that um, I did a little bit of research and for every minute that you have an occlusion in your brain, 
you lose 1.9 million neurons, which wow. are the brain cells. Yeah. So you've got about 86 million, I'm sorry, 86 billion brain cells, yeah. but you lose 1.9 million neurons um, every, every minute, minute. Wow. that you have um, a blockage. So, so the sooner we can identify that blockage and, and start the treatment to prevent it, um, it, it really helps the patient to have a better outcome. So, and the brain is like the heart, uh, which, so I normally have this analogy. So if you break a bone, you can get a cast and put it back together. If you, if something happens to your heart or your brain, it can't regrow or come back to full. That's correct. Yeah. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Tell so, me what I'm trying to say. So, so the <laughs> brain cells don't regenerate. That's it. Once, regenerate. Yes. Ha <laughs> The Good word job, of the Abby. day. Yeah. <laughs> Once the brain cells die, that tissue is dead. Um, so the, the cells don't regenerate, but what they can do is you've got the area of infarct, which is the dead tissue, and then around that area, you've got an area of ischemia, which is that lack of oxygenated blood flow. That, that's an injury pattern, right? Mm -hmm. So when patients first have the injury, um, you can see that uh, they start to have symptoms, and then you may have some swelling and some what, what they call edema within the brain that can cause the patient to have some additional symptoms. Then as that swelling goes down, as the patient starts to heal, that area of injury may start to recover, but the dead tissue does not regenerate. Okay. Wow. So much information. I have so many more questions to ask you, but we actually have to go to break, which okay. is crazy. So uh, we'll be back on break. If you're watching on Facebook, you guys hang on for just a few minutes. We'll be back in uh, just a minute. Talk to you soon. Want to know more about today's show? Go to VinylDraftRadio.com, click on links and guests, or email info at barmc.us. Back to Bay Area Regional Medical Hour with your host, Abby Lee. Hey, that was a new one. I like that. That's very cool. All snazzy. Awesome. Welcome back to Bay Area Regional Medical Hour. I'm your host, Abby Lee, and we're talking to Michelle Henderson, our Chief Nursing Officer at the hospital, about stroke and then we're going to switch gears and talk to David Johnson. David actually had a shoulder surgery and he on one shoulder in a torn bicep, which was crazy. And he's really looking forward to his next surgery. So I'm interested to hear your full story on the air. So yes. that'll be super exciting. So let's finish our conversation about stroke real quick. Mm -hmm. Oh, and before we finish your conversation about stroke, <laughs> I have to say something about this pink thing right here. So, oh, oh, is Santiago saying I love the pink mic cover and he can see all the way from downtown so i'm glad that you're watching all the way from downtown santi um so last week apparently there this i forgot what it was called i thought it was a pop screen filter. pop filter okay so this pop filter was not the the most smelling <laughs> the best smelling thing so anyway so my husband decided to buy me a new cover and we were we didn't have commercials last week so people could hear me <laughs> complaining about <laughs> the cover so anyway this is a nice pink one from my husband so thank you ryan appreciate it that's why there's a pink one today okay so that's the story of the pink microphone pop filter right now so anyway let's talk about stroke because that's really why we're here so how does stroke affect different parts of the body so the, the brain itself, um, there's different parts of the brain that control different parts of the body. So you have parts of your brain that control your vision, you have parts of your brain that control your memory, your mood, your behavior, your balance, um, your movements. And so it depends on which part of the brain has the stroke. So if you think of your arteries that supply your brain with oxygen and blood flow, if you think that you have a traffic jam, like a, a clot, 
anything that's beyond that traffic jam or that clot isn't going to be able to supply blood and oxygen to mm -hmm. that part of the brain. So whatever part of the brain is beyond that clot isn't getting oxygen, so you're going to see symptoms for that part of the brain. So the symptoms that a patient will have from a stroke really depend on what part of the brain had the injury, and, and those are the symptoms that you'll see. Is there a certain part of the brain that majority of strokes show signs and symptoms? So is there one over the other? Not really. Um, you, you'll see patients that may have problems with speech and memory. You'll see patients that have problems with extremities. You might see problems with one arm or the other. Um, you may see patients that have problems with swallowing. So whatever symptoms they have, it's really dependent on which part of the brain is, is affected. Okay, are there warning signs before you start showing signs of a, you know, you, we talked about the be fast thing. Yeah. So are there other warning signs that someone might see? So one of the things that happens with stroke is that um, typically the, sudden, the signs are very sudden. So you have a sudden onset of the weakness. You have a sudden onset of those things. So it's not something that you'll typically see. You'll gradually get these things happen. It's just something all of a sudden you lose the ability to speak or all of a sudden you have weakness and you fall to one side. So it's not something that you'll really see gradually occur. Um, patients that have risk factors for stroke, a lot of the risk factors are things that you don't know unless you test them. So for example, patients with high blood pressure, you don't know you have your blood pressure is elevated unless you have somebody check your blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Another thing that's a common risk factor for stroke is atrial fibrillation. And you don't know that you have atrial fibrillation unless you have an EKG or you notice that you have an abnormal heart rhythm. So, yeah, uh, we have some questions about AFib, but I want to ask you one question before we get to AFib real quick. Sure. How does someone prevent a stroke? You said it is preventable, like 80% are preventable. Is that what you said earlier? 80% are preventable. So the thing, the key is really to know what your risk factors are. So if you have high blood pressure, you want to make sure that you're keeping your blood pressure under control. If you have diabetes, you want to make sure that you keep your blood sugar under control. When you have your blood glucose levels that get too high, that can cause fatty deposits to get caught up in your arteries that causes some blockages, and you, that can create some blood clots in those tiny little arteries and blood vessels in your brain. So it's, it's really about knowing what your risk factors are and modifying those. Smoking is a big risk factor for stroke. So uh, stroking, stroking, smoking, smoking can <laughs> cause stroking. Um, so you want to make sure that patients um, understand that they should stop smoking if they have a risk for um, stroke. Well, anyone should stop smoking. This is true. Very this much is true. so. Okay, so uh, let's go back to AFib. So how does atrial fibrillation increase so your risk of stroke? And I'm sure that you have mm. some clinical explanation of why exactly that happens the way it happens. Yeah, so what happens with atrial fibrillation? Atrial fibrillation is an is a abnormal heart rhythm, okay? So when you talk about your heart, you've got the, the little atria that are the two chambers at the top of your heart, and you've got your ventricles, which are the two chambers at the bottom of your heart. And typically what happens is the blood flow goes through its normal course of activity and you have an electrical impulse that starts in your right atrium, goes down your sinus node into the ventricles, causes the heart to beat. Sometimes you get these little areas of the heart at the top of the heart that get excited and they want to cause their own heartbeat. So you've got this abnormal electrical activity. So instead of having the normal contraction of your heart, 
that, that part can actually quiver, mm -hmm. and that's what they call the fibrillation. So when your heart not pumping as efficiently or as effectively as it should, that blood, instead of um, going through and, and conducting through your body like it's supposed to, that blood can actually pool and cause some clots to form. So when those clots form, those teeny tiny little clots can start to travel throughout their body, and then they can get caught in little places. So if they get caught in the little blood vessels in your heart, that's a heart attack. They can get caught in the little blood vessels in your lungs, which can cause a pulmonary embolism. Or they can get caught in the little arteries in your brain, mm -hmm. which is known as a stroke. So Amy Easton, our director of the cath lab, was in here a few weeks ago, uh -huh. and she had some sound uh, bites on what AFib sounds like. So she was like, bump, da-da-da-da-da. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was commenting about how they love her sound effects. That was so much fun. So uh, if you are interested in learning more about AFib, go back and watch the one with Amy. That was that was a lot of fun. And she she talked a, little, a lot about Watchmen and, and clots uh -huh. that form with that and some different procedures that we can do to exactly. help people that way as well. Exactly. Uh, all right, so how does diabetes increase your risk of stroke? So diabetes is when your body doesn't uh, manage your blood sugar levels well. So what happens is when you've got extra glucose floating around in your body because your insulin isn't working how it's supposed to, um, that can actually cause you to have little fatty deposits that start to develop. And those fatty deposits can get caught inside those little arteries that can cause blockages and it can cause clots, blood clots to form behind those. And so um, that can be problematic. Patients with diabetes also tend to be at higher risk for high blood pressure, and so that also is another contributing factor to stroke. Wow. Okay. So, all right. Well, and you just went to my next question. So how does high blood pressure really increase your risk for stroke? So high blood pressure can not only impact um, the the ischemic stroke, but with hemorrhagic strokes. So if Ooh, the you, bad one. The bad one, exactly. Yeah, I remember that. You, that was good. <laughs> that was good. So the, the problem is that you've got um, high blood pressure, and it's constantly putting increased pressure on the walls of the, of the veins, or, the, of the, or the, the walls of the arteries. The blood vessels can't really handle that much pressure, and so it continually weakens the walls mm -hmm. of those vessels till eventually it's like they blow out, and that's when you have the bleeding and the, and the rupture. Wow. Ooh, that's scary sounding. It is. Yeah. Ooh. It's not a good day. Make sure you get all of that handled and taken care of for sure. Exactly. Okay. So what are the treatment options for stroke? So the treatment options really depend on the type of stroke that you have. Um, if you have a TIA, we, we watch the patient, we look to see what the symptoms are and we're, we're going to treat the causes, right? So we're going to look to make sure that you don't have a blockage in the arteries that, in your neck that supply your brain. We're going to check to make sure that your blood sugar levels are under control. We're going to check to do a lot of things to make sure that we're maintaining and, and controlling those risk factors. If you have a patient that's had an ischemic stroke, um, the first thing that we want to do is get you a CAT scan to, to identify that you have an ischemic stroke versus a hemorrhagic stroke. A mm -hmm. CAT scan is an imaging test that allows us to take pictures of your brain to see what's going on. So if we identify that you've got an ischemic stroke, the first thing that we want to do is get you a medicine called TPA or tissue plasminogen activase. Ooh, right? fun. So activase is that medicine, and it's a it's a basically a blood thinning medication. And what it does is it helps to dissolve the clot that's causing the symptoms. And, and so the medicine works really well. It dissolves that clot, and it helps to resolve the symptoms. The sooner you give that medication, 
the better the patient outcomes are. The goal is from the time the patient arrives to the hospital to the time the patient gets the medication is within 60 minutes. So that's really the goal with treatment there. And that's part of our accreditation that we got to, right? Correct. So one of the things that they look for when they look at outcomes is they want to check to make sure that your patients are getting what they call door-to-needle from the, from the time they arrive to the time that they get that medicine is less than 60 minutes. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So then the next type of stroke is the hemorrhagic stroke. So the type of treatment is really going to depend on the reason that you have the hemorrhage, okay? So one of the treatment methods is that you want to make sure that you're controlling the blood pressure mm -hmm. because you don't want to have this artery that's ruptured and then continue to force blood into there yeah. that's causing more bleeding into that space, more pressure and, and more damage. Um, if you have an aneurysm, which is that little wall of the artery that gets kind of blown out like the blown tire, mm -hmm. they can do little metal clips and they'll go in and clip that. Or um, if you have an AVM malformation, they can actually go in and do surgery. So those are those are the different treatment options that you would have for hemorrhagic stroke. Wow. All right. So, Any parting words on stroke before we go? I, I think the most important thing is to understand that stroke is the third leading cause of death and it's a significant cause of um, disability in the United States. And so we need to make sure that if you see somebody that you think is potentially having the signs or symptoms of a stroke, you wanna make sure that you call 911, you wanna make sure that you get them treatment early, because again, the sooner you get that treatment, the more damage you can prevent. The sooner we can start to treat that patient, the less brain injury that they have, which will make a difference in their outcome. Yeah, so call 911 if you have any of the symptoms that we talked about earlier. Exactly. Okay, awesome. Sounds good. Well, we are actually out of time, so we're going to go to break real quick. Um, so we just got done talking about stroke with Michelle Henderson, our chief nursing officer. Now we're going to talk to David Johnson. So David, I'm not going to give away your whole story because we're going to get right into it, but you had shoulder one shoulder surgery. Now you got me. We got the stroke and smoke and shoulder <laughs> surgery. Today's just an S day. <laughs> um, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your shoulder story. So yes. uh, tell me a little bit about you before we get into your shoulders. As we spoke earlier, we were. Uh, I come from Pasadena. Was raised in the area. I'd met uh, Dr. Holt through uh, a couple other acquaintances, and uh, my shoulder uh, problem originated a couple of years ago and as things went on I finally discovered that you know it was something I needed to do about it mm -hmm. okay so uh so you have such a more crazy story than what you just said <laughs> so you were saying uh originally what you you went to Dr. Holt originally and you got some injections right yes and then something happened and you're like oh my gosh I've got to go so talk to me about the transition between your injection and then going into seeing Dr. Holt about your shoulder what happened in between there my wife and I were lift, lifting one day I went over to another position and station and was waiting on her and decided I'd pull on the weights to get a little uh, movement going with very light weights next thing I know I felt a sharp pain uh, didn't know what that pain was at the time mm -hmm. and uh, moving forward some months later had to go in and see dr holt uh, i w originally was interested in two shots one in each arm this time mm -hmm. and uh, he noticed a torn bicep muscle that's cool yeah. and like torn bicep oh my gosh i've heard of firemen mm -hmm. like ripping their their biceps and they can't like pick their arm up that was i'm surprised you just might be like a, 
a person that can handle all sorts of pain. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's two of them there. And when one of them tears or breaks, you still have another one in my case. So that's what held me through until I could get to the, uh, the hospital in the end for the surgery. Okay. So uh, Dr. Holt noticed that you had a torn bicep and what was going on with your shoulder? The shoulder was hurt uh, from uh, some time back. Yeah, I thought it was an accrued uh, kind of pain that something that kept antagonizing me to the point where it just uh, it was it was to the point I had to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And then the muscle uh, torn bicep was shortly thereafter, and at that point I realized that I've got to do something. Yeah. So. Uh, you said that you were at work and it just, your, your shoulder was affecting your daily life. Tell me a little bit about how it was affecting you. I work in an office uh, around computers and uh, so I'm, well, my arms are at desk level all day or higher. And when you operate like that, you, you're using that muscle even though you don't think you're using it. And uh, the, the, the pains and uh, problems that you have through just normal day use, you start to notice that mm -hmm. and, it, and it gets to the point where, you know, eventually I had to say, I've got to go. Yeah. And you something. said you couldn't raise your arms above your head and it, you were just in so much pain. Not with any weight. No, no. Wow. Yeah. Was it keeping you up at night? Somewhat. You, you find yourself having to sleep in certain positions. So you're yeah. not laying on the shoulder or bothering anything. It's in your mind. Uh, all, all the time. Mm -hmm. So did Dr. Holt see after you, did you, you, I guess you had an x-ray in his office and then he said, whoa, <laughs> hold on. You've got a torn bicep and you've got some shoulder stuff going uh, on. What, he, he talk to that, me about that. Yeah. He noticed that just by view when I walked in to explain my shoulder problems. And from that moment on, we started discussing, uh, you know, what my options were and what I was going to move forward and do. And I'd I immediately knew I was going to get it repaired. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about that process. So he said, all right, you got to have surgery. You got to get your bicep fixed and your shoulder. What all happened in between that day and your surgery day? Well, during that time, I had to wait some time before I could go in and get the surgery. So I had to deal with what little bit of pain I was dealing with and sleep in certain positions and such. So I, I had that that I was dealing with and uh, finally was able to get into the hospital and get the surgery done. When was your surgery? It was in January toward the end. Yay, this year. Awesome. So how are you doing since your surgery? I'm doing good. I, I didn't uh, feel as bad as I thought I would feel. I came out of surgery the next day. I thought the pain would set in once the, whatever they had given me had worn off, but it didn't. And uh, uh, that, that was um, um, amusing. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> you were that expecting a lot worse yeah, than what you were. So, uh, awesome. so I didn't. And uh, a few days, a week went by. And uh, through those time, or through that time, I uh, I was I was pretty happy with it. So you're back to full range of motion. You can make big circles with your shoulder and not have any pain. Full range of motion at this point, not pain free, but uh, at least full range of motion. And I have started to work out a little bit. Yay! So, yeah. Awesome. We were yeah. talking earlier about how much he loves to work out. So I don't know that that can. That can weigh on you, especially if you're used to it and it makes you feel good. And, you know, and when you're hurting, it just, it's not fun at all. Exactly. Um, so how was your experience at the hospital? It was good. That's the first time uh, I had been in a hospital for something like that. So, you know, it was an experience that you go into it uh, not knowing how things are going to turn out. But uh, as they go through, uh, 
it, uh, it wound up being good. Uh, the people were nice. It was a day surgery for me, so I went in. Uh, we took care of our business and stuff, and I woke back up, and I was dressed up and ready to go. So, <laughs> you know, at that point, I said, well, I'm, I feel pretty good, actually. So Awesome. Any part of the process in the hospital, any person stand out to you that made a difference in, in your treatment and your care that you had at the hospital? You know, I only recall maybe uh, two or three people. So at that at that point, all of them had their job to do. And as I met and uh, greeted each of them, and we went through the process we have to go through with each one of them, they were, they were all very nice, very nice. I enjoyed uh, each visit. Awesome. Very cool. And you said that you're, you're ready to go. So you have your other shoulder that's, that's bothering you. Is it the same? Is it your rotator cuff? Do you know exactly what part of what, what's going exactly. on with your shoulder? Uh, I know this one will have to have some bone work done on it and uh, new surfacing of uh, uh, the joint when they put it back. Then there's some other uh, tendon uh, tear such issues. So they're going to look at that when they get in there. Wow. So you might have a, another reconstruction type thing with a, not your bicep on your other side, thank God, but something yeah. else that's going on. Yeah. So when's your next surgery scheduled? It's the beginning of next month. So Yay. Uh, we'll go in there next month and get it over with finally and I'll be ready to go. That's awesome. That is very cool. So what would you say to someone who might be thinking about having shoulder surgery? I know of people that uh, need to go and have this done. I talk to them every chance I get. If, if you need something like this done, get it done. It's not near as bad as some think, mm -hmm. and uh, you'll be glad once you did. Yeah. You'll be glad once you did because it's not uh, nothing to it. Awesome. What would you say to someone who would be having surgery at, at Bay Area Regional Medical Center? What would you say about the hospital to someone? I would recommend it. Highly recommend it. Awesome. Yes, well, thank you for that. a good experience. Um, so to, let's talk a little bit about your recovery because a lot of people have a lot of how much pain am I going to be in? Am I going to be in PT for a long time? I, am I going to be able to sleep? Am I going to be on pain? Like uh, there's just a lot that people are scared of on the recovery part because you know, surgery is painful. It is. Um, yeah. uh, so talk to me a little bit about your recovery process. My experience was good. I didn't have that much pain. Uh, the recovery uh, seemed to be something that I guess was an automatic something, uh, more and more range I acquired over uh, a day or week's time. Uh, mm -hmm. so that helped me out. And, um, after about a month, month and a half or so, I didn't, uh, didn't really experience any, any inconvenience at all. I could put on a shirt just fine. I, I could do that almost in the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. what movement that I could do. So, Did you have uh, to put ice on it, like, 24-7? No. Uh, at the beginning, they wanted to put some mm -hmm. ice on it, and uh, that, that went away pretty quick. Wow. After I had, my, I had, both, I had surgery on both feet, and I, I couldn't get enough ice on my feet. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that feels so much better. It was crazy. Interesting, interesting. So did you have to do PT for a long time after surgery? No, physical training was uh, several weeks uh, after the operation, and mm -hmm. I, I went to that uh, for several weeks. And uh, at that point, I discovered some things that I could do to try to move things on along, so I handled it myself. Oh, good for you. That's awesome. All right, is there anything that you would want to say to Dr. Holt about your surgery and your experience? I guess if I had anything to say was thank you. Thank you. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can function a little bit better, huh? Absolutely. I'm in a lot better shape now than I was then. Yes. Awesome. So when do you think that you'll be fully recovered from your, from your neck surgery and you'll be able to work out and get back to normal? I'm hoping within three months. They tell you about three months, you could get back to what so you're doing. So the summer, you'll be perfect, ready to go for the summer. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I so appreciate it. Um, mm -hmm. We're about to have to go, um, but I wanted to tell everybody that is watching on Facebook and uh, listening on the radio to tune in next Tuesday at 4. We're going to be interviewing Dr. Jaglowski. He is actually... Uh, Dr. Holt's partner. He does uh, lower extremity. So we'll talk about hips and knees next week. And we'll also be talking to Dr. Stephen Dennis, who is a sports medicine doctor who does a lot of concussion. We're going to be talking about concussion and all sorts of sports medicine injuries that, you know, those of us who like to work out, or if you just started working out and you're like, oh my gosh, my knee hurts. We'll talk about a, a lot of different things like that. So um, we're excited about what we're going to be talking about next week. Uh, tune in at 4 p.m. here on Facebook Live or go to Vinyl Draft Radio and listen to it on the radio. We will see you guys next week. Have a great week.